We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. I'm joined in the studio this evening by Bill Sharp. Good evening. And Dimitri Buras. Hi, good evening, everyone. Tonight, we'll be discussing Taiwan and the United Nations and the World Health Organization, some proposals of President Tsai Ing-wen's new foreign policies, what Brexit means for Taiwan, and the We Care Kaohsiung campaign to recall City Mayor Han Guoyu entering the second stage this week. But we'll begin with the 2019 novel coronavirus here in Taiwan, where over the past week, the number of confirmed cases have risen to nine as of the time we're recording the show. And that ninth case is Taiwan's second domestic case of the coronavirus. Now, the government is seeking to allay fears of a lack of surgical face masks, with President Tsai Ing-wen on Thursday saying that some 4.2 million masks per day will be released to the public from today being Friday, January the 31st, in order to meet widespread demand for the surgical masks. Now, relevant government agencies will purchase the masks and distribute them at set prices, and officials will also be monitoring surgical mask production and storage levels. And the president is also warning that individuals or groups that hoard or sell the surgical masks at unfair prices will be targeted. And that final statement comes as former President Ma Ying-jeou and some celebrities, most of them with business ties to China, are calling for Taiwan to export surgical masks to China as customs officials at airports here are basically having to remove boxes of surgical masks from some people who are leaving the country. Now, meanwhile, the Mainland Affairs Council says the government is continuing to explore the feasibility of actually helping to get back some 400 Taiwanese nationals who are in the Chinese province of Hubei, where, of course, the city of Wuhan is located, where the outbreak began. Now, the statement by the Mainland Affairs Council came as officials say that Beijing is refusing to respond to the request, which has apparently been made by both the Mainland Affairs Council and the Straits Exchange Foundation. Now, restrictions on arrivals of Chinese nationals remain in place here, and the Tourism Bureau has extended the suspension of tours to China by local travel agencies until February the 29th now, and the new rule also applies to tours that include transit stopovers in China. Meanwhile, Premier Su Jing-chung said this week that he's issued instructions to relevant government agencies in preparation for what he described as a long battle to contain the new form of coronavirus. Now, Su Jing-chung was briefed by officials from the Ministry of Health on Thursday regarding current developments and the response of the government agencies to the health crisis. Now, according to the Cabinet, the Premier has instructed relegated agencies and local governments to prepare for a medium to long-term battle against the virus by a Adopting four measures. Now, Su Jing Chung said those measures are readying supplies, establishing emergency response centres, formulating standard operating procedures on virus source tracing, and the prevention of transmission within medical facilities, public transportation, schools, and other public arenas. Su is also warning that anyone who conceals their medical history, their contact with people who have tested positive for the coronavirus, their travel history, or those who violate quarantine rules will face heavy penalties. So, Bill, you've just popped back to Taiwan this past couple of weeks to do your scholarship with the ministry here, the government, and you've come back for the coronavirus. So what have you seen so far with all this information out there? What have I seen uh, vis-a-vis the coronavirus? Well, uh, I see people walking around Taiwan, where Taipei in, in particular, all wearing masks, and they, they're very alert and very sensitive to the possibility of catching the coronavirus. Um, I think that uh, to just approach your question in a different way, I, I really don't like the way that China's responding. Um, 
uh, the fact that they have prevented the evacuation of Taiwan residents living in Wuhan, I think, is appalling. Um, on the other hand, I sort of understand that the Chinese policy of not uh, releasing, fully releasing uh, information about the depth of the uh, of the of the situation. I think that people in the mainland are very sensitive, and they um, uh, can get very excited very easily. Which, and I'm sure, in the mainland's view, would lead to some sort of mass action uh, that could be very politically threatening, and, and really wouldn't help the situation. So, in a sense, I can understand their um, desire not to release the full extent of the information, although on the other side of me says, I release it. And the fact that um, it, that China is putting out such opposition to Taiwan being a member of the World Health Organization and participating in the World, World Health Assembly, I think is, is, is grossly unfair to the world. And not just to Taiwan, but to the world. I mean, there's a very high standard of medical expertise in Taiwan, which um, the, the mainland could benefit from. Right, and Dimitri, of course, you were here for SARS. So what are you seeing this time around? Well, I see that maybe I can see the ruling party is clearly in charge. Um, the Democratic Progressive Party was already in charge in 2003 during the SARS epidemic. So, And we also know that many members of the ruling party are actually medical doctors. So we can see that they know how to handle the crisis. It was a very smart move yesterday when they announced that they would release, they would release 4.2 million masks per day starting today. Uh, it was also a very important move yesterday when they cancelled the annual Taipei International Book Fair, which uh, actually attract more almost half a million people uh, every year. So, uh, well, I see they're clearly in charge, and the uh, people, the public is listening. I was on the subway this morning; everybody was wearing a mask, and mm-hmm. so I think, well, we need to be patient, but we are confident in the authorities' ability to to manage the crisis. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the number of doctors in the DPP, and it just occurs to me that the vice president or vice president-to-be actually is not only a doctor, but also has additional study in public health. Yep. And the current vice president, of course, Chen Jianren, is an epidemiologist. <laughs> so Good point. So, and I practiced saying that word because I thought I was going to blow it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're safe, and, uh, well, we hope it's going to continue this way. Right. And what about the mask situation there, Dimitri? I mean, obviously, there's problems with masks for a few... I mean, we had the Lunar New Year, and, of course, stores ran out because there was simply no delivery services delivering new masks to the stores. The president came out on Thursday and, like you said, said 4.2 million masks will be released to the public and civil servants and medical staff from today. But, of course, there's been people hoarding them, people making possibly charging more money for them and even calls for them to be exported to China. Well, two things here. Number one, uh, they will release 4.2 million masks per day, but you can only buy three masks per person. Mm. So, well, that will guarantee that who, whenever you go to the store, you might be able to buy at least three masks. Um, supply is not a concern, though, and we should be very careful about, you know, and avoid pitching people across the Taiwan Strait uh, because of the, the Wuhan virus. This is not a zero-sum game. I think we can export masks to Japan or South Korea or Southeast Asia. Taiwan has the tech. Taiwan has the know-how. And then it's a chance now to gain a competitive advantage to export our products across the world. Now, 
if China needs our products and if we have a stable supply in Taiwan, why not? We should sell whatever products we can all across the region. Mm. Well, I agree. Of course, this, of course, exporting masks, though, did come under fire. There were certain people rather angry that these celebrities, there were a couple of famous celebrities, both women, that said Taiwan should donate masks to China. Well, as long as we have enough supply, yes, we can contribute, we can help. And that happens whenever there is an earthquake across the region. You would see the Taiwan public donating and uh, local NGOs and authorities also donating funds or, or supply across the region. Now, uh, I think... The, the the election the election is over and we should not go back to the zero uh, some game zero sum game kind of thinking saying that well if I give you something I just get something less we can we don't need twenty masks per person every day so if we have enough masks well sell them or give them Gavin them. I have a question for you <clears throat> that uh, celebrity that said that Taiwan should donate masks to China does she perform in China does he or she perform in China there, there or do they have some economic interest or are they just being purely noble um, well it could have been noble but of course the argument has been dragged in that the two female celebrities do have business ties to China and might well have been trying to sort of cozy up to Beijing there mm. that's what certain netizens one well, very famous netizen went on a tirade on the interweb about that very thing Anyway, Dimitri, what about the ban on Chinese tourists coming here and the ban on tours to China until February the 29th now? Well, again, it's another smart move, and it's not only Taiwan. We've seen uh, governments across the region and even in the United States reconsidering direct flights uh, or cut, cutting down some flights between uh, uh, China and their home country. So uh, for the next few weeks, there is a concern that the number of um, people infected with the virus will continue to increase. So, well, maybe it's another important, it's a right step in the, in the right direction. Mm. Good point. And uh, to go a step further, I, I think this might be, um, uh, how should we say, the beginning of a, of a, of a new trend, that is uh, Taiwan becoming less and less dependent on Chinese tourists and the Chinese tourist market. Well, to follow up on that, I would also say that we need to be aware that over the next few weeks, also countries will start reduce or maybe cut flights between Taiwan and their home country as well. Uh, we've seen this week the second uh, locally transmitted uh, uh, disease uh, in Taiwan. So, well, we can also expect more in Taiwan. So in the near future, maybe we can... And we need to expect, we need to know that we will see a, a major decrease in number of tourists in Taiwan. And moving on, but in related news, the Taiwan United Nations Alliance President Michael Tsai is calling on President Tsai Ing-wen to hold international news conferences in May and September, at which she can formally announce her administration's plans to join the United Nations and the World Health Organization. And that call comes after the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is expressing its gratitude for the support of the Japanese and Canadian governments in calling for Taiwan's participation in the WHO in light of the coronavirus outbreak. Now, Japan's Prime Minister Shinzo Abe told a parliamentary session on Thursday that Taiwan's participation in the WHO is necessary to effectively fight the spread of the 2019 novel coronavirus, while Canada's Prime Minister Justin Trudeau told lawmakers in Ottawa this week that his administration believes Taiwan's role as an observer in the World Health Assembly is in the best interest of the international community as it can be a partner in the fight against the epidemic. Now Michael Tsai is a former defence minister and he now joins us on the telephone. So good evening Michael. 
Hi, Gavin. How are you? Okay. And so you're doing this thing. You've been doing this for years, trying to get Taiwan to join the United Nations with rallies in New York and in America. And now, of course, the, we have this coronavirus epidemic. And you're also calling for the Taiwan government to act on joining the WHO. So what, what do you expect President Tsai Ing-wen and the government to do? Uh, yes, in the past several years, uh, the... Uh uh, our group, uh, Tayuna, Taiwan, the United Nations Alliance, uh, has been working very hard to promote Taiwan to join the United Nations and the WHO and the ICAO, so on and so forth, uh, to ensure that the, uh, our right to represent the 23 million uh, Taiwanese people, uh, our voice be heard in the United Nations and other international organizations. And the, uh, uh our President Tsai Ing-wen, uh, uh, she held the uh, she held the uh, uh, press conference yesterday at the uh, presidential palace, and she quite uh, make a statement quite clear that the uh, uh, we are looking forward to to join the uh, uh, WHO uh, as a as a member or observers because this kind of Wuhan uh, uh, the uh, the uh, disease has been spread over the world, including Taiwan. Therefore, uh, it is obligation to join this uh, WH uh, executive meeting. Uh, I think they will start today and for the next few days. So we are, President Tsai is working hard on in this regard. Right. And I have another question for you, of course, because Chen Shui-bian, when you were obviously Defence Minister, you worked for Chen Shui-bian yes, when, when he was, was when he was president. And of course, Chen Shui-bian made a great play of trying to get Taiwan in the United Nations. Then, of course, the Ma administration came in and said we're going to drop that. And then it went back to the DPP with Tsai Ing-wen's government. And of course, she didn't. She wasn't so positive on trying to pressure the UN to let it let Taiwan join. She sort of took a back seat. I mean, why do you think that was? Why do you think she didn't emulate Chen Shui-bian? Uh, I think uh, Chen Shui-bian. Uh government uh, at the time 10 years ago uh, 11 years ago uh, President Chen he, uh, he wrote a personal letter as the president of uh, Taiwan to the Secretary General of the United Nations as well as to the Secretary General of WHO uh, in asking for the mem- Taiwan's membership in the UN and also the WHO also was uh, rejected uh, by those two organizations because of China, uh, China factors. China refused to allow the, uh, Taiwan to join the, this UN and the WHO as members. Uh, the, uh, Tsai Ing-wen, this is what I am, uh, I'm, uh, eager, eagerly, uh, we are appealed to the President Tsai Ing-wen, uh, to, to stand up to hold the international conference. Uh, or through the, some other uh, mass media to show the world uh, or the government and the uh, and this international organization that the Taiwan is uh, uh, very much like to uh, apply for the membership of the UN and WHO, particularly in this particular moment uh, when the uh, this uh, the uh, uh, this disease has been spread around the world. Uh, Taiwan can can contribute a lot of medical and public health uh, uh, effort uh, in a in council effort to join the uh, international organizations and I hope uh, uh, I'm quite sure the uh, not only president Tsai, uh, also minister 
uh, foreign affairs and also public health uh, ministers, uh, they are working very hard uh, in the uh, in this particular time of the uh, of the disease spread around the world. Uh, Taiwan should have should join the uh, WHO and the WHO's meeting right now held at the uh, Geneva. Do you think that comments by Shinzo Abe and Justin Trudeau work in Taiwan's favour, or do you think China will still strongly oppose Taiwan joining the World Health Assembly or the World Health Organization? Yes, Abe, uh, Japanese Premier Minister Abe Shinzo, not only him, but also yesterday, uh, the Premier Minister of Canada, uh, Justin Trudeau, and also the uh, uh, EU, uh, uh, EU Council, they also issued the uh, press release that they are supporting the Taiwan to join the uh, WHO meeting. Uh, we appreciate very much for this world leaders uh, and the mass media in supporting Taiwan to join the uh, this uh, 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 public health uh, uh, urgent uh, meeting in particular this moment. So, Dimitri, there we go. Had Michael Tsai there talking about his groups movement to try to get Taiwan to join the UN and of course more prominently at the moment because of the news the World Health Assembly and the World Health Organization. Well given the speed to which the virus is spreading we need we might need more personal ties and goodwill to sort issues and move forward with finding a solution to this international health crisis. Um, luckily, Taiwan has been able to obtain such relevant information about the virus from other WHO members, including the United States and Japan. Well, the president just won her re-election bid, and we shouldn't try to attract the attention of U.S. presidential candidates on this uh, on this Taiwan uh, UN bid for now. Uh, and instead, we should maybe put all our attention into solving this international health crisis. Well, I. I don't know. I, I think I would disagree with that a little bit. I think it is a good time for her to um, – she's got a lot of political capital right now. I mean, it is important to share the information, to get, gather the information from other countries that do have access to it. But I, I think she's riding very prominently in the global in, uh, global news right now, and it, it's a good time to push for this. It's as good a time as any, let's put it that way. Right, now we have to take a short break now here on the Taiwan This Week, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week and staying with Taiwan's international standing where we left off at the end of the first half of the show. Now I'm joined by Bill Sharp in the studio today and I believe, Bill, you have some ideas that you believe President Tsai Ing-wen should possibly make part of her new foreign policies. Right. Well, I think it's very clear that uh, Tsai Ing-wen wants to be less and less dependent on uh, China all the time. And she wants to move away from China as, as much as possible. Whereas if Mr. Han had been elected, things would go in exactly the same, uh, the opposite direction. Um, and and I, I think that within the Kuomintang itself, there seems to be this upsurge of, of um, how should you say, interests from younger members that they they want a relationship that's not so dependent on the with China that's not so dependent on the 92 consensus so that that seems i get the feeling that the 92 consensus is being seriously challenged right now but moving beyond that it seems to me 
that um, Taiwan worries too much about its um, relationship with its 15 allies, most of whom are, frankly speaking, and maybe this sounds a little bit harsh, kind of poor countries without much influence or power in the world, save the Vatican, and who knows how long that relationship will last. I think that um, that Taiwan should put much more emphasis on its relationship with America. I know it's high now, but um, especially in the side period, um, but you know it can be further developed um, as can her, her relationship with the EU, Japan, Canada, Australia, and and, and India as well. I mean, these are all democracies um, which share a lot with Taiwan. Uh, and interestingly enough, there um, a lot of several of these countries uh, either have interests in the Pacific, uh, in the Indo-Pacific arena, or uh, are physically located there. I think um, there needs to be um, more attention put on the participation in non-state organizations of any kind, which will give uh, Tsai uh, Ing-wen and Taiwan more um, international visibility. Um, obviously, China uses its influence to bar uh, Taiwan's entry into international organizations that require statehood. Taiwan has more chance of uh, being admitted to organizations that don't require statehood. It's interesting in this regard that, you know, Reporters Without Borders um, located its headquarters, its Asian Pacific headquarters here in Taiwan. And that, of course, is an organization that doesn't require statehood. I know this sounds a little bit like a simple uh, example, but I remember that um, I grew up on the east coast of the United States in the state of New Jersey. I grew up in a beach community, and an adjacent beach community every year had an international marble tournament, uh, which Taiwan participated in. Now, I know that sounds frivolous, but the point is it gave Taiwan international exposure, and, you know, the name Taiwan had a chance to, you know, um, be advertised. And I think that's what Taiwan really needs because so many people in the world, frankly, just don't know about Taiwan. And they always mix up Taiwan and Thailand. And you mentioned Taiwan and they say the shopping is great in Bangkok. I really like that place. You know, uh, and I think this is an affliction of Westerners more than Asians, because Asians have their sense of geography straight. They know where Taiwan is. They won't know where Thailand is. Um, the point is visibility. And I think on another respect that um, Taiwan has some organizations that do very good philanthropic work, like the Buddhist organization, Tsuchi, that's non-political. Uh, but it does lots of very good humanitarian work all around the world, even in uh, in China. And um, I, I think that you know try, that Taiwan needs to um, pump up its philanthropic presence on the global stage. If okay, it's humanitarian, but I know this sounds crass, perhaps, but it gets Taiwan's name out. Um, the ICDF, the component of the Taiwan government that handles foreign aid, um, sponsors the creation of a lot of philanthropic organizations um, wherever it's present. And there, there's a very effective program that they have recently financed. Uh, it's carried out in the Philippines, a country that does not have official official relations with Taiwan. 
um, and it's um, they partnered. They're financing, but they partnered with a Filipino organization called World Vision Philippines. And what they're doing is they're trying to upgrade the nutritional, um, how should I say, content uh, of um, diets in poor uh, villages. To go a step further, and as we just said in the last piece, Taiwan has a lot of medical experience, a lot of expertise, a very high standard of medical service in Taiwan. And I think that while there are some medical term teams from Taiwan that go around the world offering different services, medical services, that that should be further expanded. Again, to get the name of Taiwan out. And, and if one wants to go a step further and, and get into the security realm, <clears throat> I think that the um, it is rumored that Taiwan is a silent partner of the Proliferation Security Initiative. Uh, which a number of countries participate in. And the goal of the PSI is to stop ships at sea that are expected of carrying nuclear um, weapons and technology um, from or to North Korea. Um, I think that uh, Taiwan needs a more visible um, uh, role in that. So the whole idea here is to... Um, create greater visibility for Taiwan um, and to improve and deepen its relationship with those countries that I mentioned in the middle, in the beginning. Right, so Dimitri there, Bill's talking about Taiwan, more visibility through international marble events and high seas policing. Well, <laughs> Taiwan needs to rely on its soft power, and I totally agree on this. And soft power to and its ability to attract business people, students, and new migrants who believe in the potential of the local economy. Well, cross trade issues won't won't be solved overnight. But the election is over, and we shouldn't rely on anti-China sentiment anymore to gather support for government policies. I agree with that. That's, okay. that's a good point. So that's a good point. Taiwan has been very successful without being a member of the United Nations and without being a member of the WHO. The reasons why we're not members, it's a very long story, and we can't solve this out right now. Uh, you don't need to be a member of the WHO to be have a successful healthcare industry. Okay, you don't need to be a member of the United Nations to have a successful a potential economy, a great, a good economy, stable economy. So, well, Taiwan, well, maybe, and I hope we can just rely on what we have and try to move forward and using these assets to move forward without creating trouble. Uh, that's the least thing we need right now. We need a stable relationship with China. We don't want more, fine. But just as long as it's stable, it's okay. And it's beneficial to everyone. Hmm. I, I, that's a good point. Uh, I, I should also add, I, I said in the middle of my, shall we call it my piece there, that um, Taiwan should seek to um, deepen its relationship with those countries, the United States, Japan, the EU, Canada, Australia. I think it should also ramp up its efforts on the new South policy. Uh, I think that that has the potential to um, uh, pay great dividends for for Taiwan. Even though a lot of those countries participate in the BRI, um, a very interesting article that came out in the Nikkei Asian Review about a month ago was suggesting that, yeah, okay, these countries do have um, relations or benefiting from the BRI, but at the same time, it doesn't mean that they're not 
are willing to enter into fairly large construction contracts with Taiwan construction companies. And I believe it's in Bangkok that uh, a Taiwan construction company is, is, is working on the development of a subway. And today is Friday, January the 31st, when Britain officially leaves the European Union. Now, Taiwan has last year objected to the UK's proposed rules for managing its trading services after it leaves the EU and has long requested negotiations with the World Trade Organization about those issues. Now, the government here in Taiwan has raised objections to several changes. And those changes are, well, they range from financial services to aircraft leasing. And there's also concern that Taiwan would have less market access than it previously had to the UK when the UK leaves the EU due to the rules being changed. Now, people in Taiwan have also voiced their concern that Taiwan's withdrawal from the European Union could even weaken Taiwan's position in the European Parliament. And now, I have Ross Feingold, our regular ICRT commentator, on the phone now to comment on the UK leaving the European Union and how it affects Taiwan. So, Ross, obviously concerns there from Taiwan about what will happen to UK-Taiwan ties vis-à-vis business and also voices in the EU Parliament. Right. So there's two issues there. There's the political and the economic. Now, in the political, Taiwan enjoys parliamentary support, whether the EU Parliament or the UK Parliament or the national parliaments of the <laughs> remaining EU countries, very similar to the parliamentary support that Taiwan enjoys in, in other uh, parts of the world, including the U.S. Congress. The problem is the EU Parliament, when it comes to foreign policy, is, is, you know, it's nice that some parliamentary parliamentarians talk about Taiwan and say they love Taiwan or they come and visit Taiwan. But when it comes to actual decision-making um, at the EU Commission level, at the leadership level, we see that notwithstanding recent tensions with uh, China between the EU and China, that the EU is it has a limit, just like many other uh, countries around the world or international organizations. Up to now, there still seems to be a limit to what they're willing to do for Taiwan as far as entering into additional agreements, such as trade agreements, uh, supporting Taiwan's meaningful participation in international organizations, which, you know, that might change because of the virus and, and the WHO. Uh, but, but up to now, there's been a limit. And in 2020, there's two very significant summits planned between the EU and China. One, there's the, the usual EU leadership, uh, the EU Commission leadership China summit, which is scheduled for the spring. And then in the fall, there's a, a new type of summit, which uh, Angela Merkel is taking the leadership in organizing, which would be the, the national leaders of the EU member countries to have a summit with Xi Jinping. Uh, so a slightly different concept than the, the summit, the traditional EU-China summit, which is the EU uh, commission leadership. Uh, so given that the EU remaining countries post-Brexit ha- has these political goals with China, notwithstanding the tensions, uh, I think we have to have, uh, manage our expectations for what the EU might might be willing to do post-Brexit vis-a-vis Taiwan. But there's always possibilities with trade. I mean, that's the easiest thing for the EU because, you know, China typically has not objected to other countries or international organizations such as the EU doing trade agreements with Taiwan. But like a lot of the trade issues, uh, whether it's with the EU, the UK, or the U.S., that Taiwan has, uh, some of these things are, are solvable by one side or the other making unilateral decisions. They don't need to be held hostage to a broader agreement. So a good example would be pork, not U.S. pork, but U.K. pork, which for many years was, was not allowed to enter Taiwan. But last year, President Tsai you know, uh, 
suddenly said, yes, we're going to change our rules. So she could have done this much earlier. Uh, she finally decided to do it. Uh, she's repeatedly said to visiting EU, uh, sorry, UK members of parliament uh, how much she would like to sign a, a free trade agreement with the UK. It's probably not the highest priority for the UK. They still have to resolve post-Brexit uh, trade issues with the remaining EU countries. Obviously, they want to sign a trade agreement with the United States. Uh, so we'll probably hear Taiwan continue to say this, but then uh, whether it's the EU or the UK, they're going to say, well, you know, you could take a unilateral action on some of these issues. And then we'll talk to you about a broader agreement. And then we'll keep going round and round the way we have in, in the past few years. So the easiest thing, uh, especially now that it's a second term and no need to worry about running for re-election, would be for Taiwan to take some unilateral action on some of these trade issues to buy some more political capital with the EU or the UK. All right, Dimitri. Well, there is an actually, uh, I don't know what, what's your take on this, but there is another concern actually. It's the name of the legal entity that would maybe potentially sign an eventual FDA with the UK. So would it be Taiwan, the Republic of China or Chinese Taipei? Because my understanding is that, well, the ruling party might not be willing to sign anything uh, or use the name other than anything, any other name than Taiwan. And we've seen such issue before uh, with an eventual FTA with Singapore. We've heard that actually the authorities in Singapore were more than willing to sign an FTA with Taiwan for years. But because they couldn't agree on the name to be used to sign this FTA, the signing has been postponed for years. So uh, maybe what is your take on that? Well, I, I'd, be, I'd be shocked if the Thai government is going to hold an FTA with the U.K. hostage to nomenclature issues since we have a whole menu of different names to choose from, whether it's Taiwan, whether it's signed in the name of the, the, the TACRO, and then it, it just has generic language referring to the entity represented by the signing party uh, or the separate customs territory of Taiwan, Jinmen, Pengu, and Mazu, like, like is used in the WTO. Uh, there, there's plenty of options. Uh, I, I just don't think that the, the Thai government w would hold the agreement hostage to that issue. I, I think they're more likely to hold it hostage just because they don't have the political bravery to make some of the concessions that the U.K. might ask for. Uh, also, another question is that... Um the the UK is actually negotiating an FTA with the United States and China at the same time. So do you think that they would have time or is it a priority for the UK to sign another trade deal with Taiwan? Well, as I said earlier, the UK has other priorities. So whether it's re resolving post-Brexit issues with the EU, negotiating FTAs with other trading partners, whether it's the United States or others, or uh, a lot of the agreements that the EU had with other trading partners that the UK participated in, the UK has signed interim agreements to try and maintain some of those privileges, but th th those are, by their nature, interim. So the, EU has, sorry, the UK has a lot of follow-up it needs to do post-Brexit uh, because there were trade agreements or other types of agreements regarding standards uh, of product safety standards, things like that. So there's a lot of interim agreements, but the UK is going to need to follow up with these other countries uh, and negotiate uh, more formal agreements for the, for the future. So again, yeah, I agree with you. Taiwan might not necessarily be a high priority uh, unless it becomes political, and, uh, but whether or not there's there's an appetite among uh, UK 
government or parliamentarians for political purposes. That That's really impossible to say, but again, I wouldn't be optimistic. I mean, we saw this week's decision on Huawei that, that the UK is trying to strike a balance between the United States and China. So the the, the notion that the UK is going to prioritize Taiwan as, as a FTA partner for political purposes, to give Taiwan some some political or moral support in the international community, that's not a scenario I see either, especially when Taiwan is, has often proved to be a difficult trading part, uh, negotiating partner over trade agreements. Right, and before we go this week, organisers of the WeCare Kaohsiung Group began opening a headquarters in the city this week as the campaign to recall Hanguoyu entered the second stage. Now, according to WeCare Kaohsiung founder Aaron Yin, the group is seeking to gather 300,000 signatures in the coming 30 days. And if the group manages to secure that amount of signatures in support of the recall campaign, then the city's election commission will be obligated to put the petition to a public vote. Now, We Care Kaohsiung says it plans to set up some 300 stations across the city for people to sign the recall position. Meanwhile, Han Guoyu himself is refusing to talk about the recall motion against him, and when asked earlier this week about the petition, Han simply said that his top priority is to defend the city against the coronavirus. So, Dimitri, the We Care moving on to the second stage they need. I believe they're looking for three hundred thousand, but I think they need two hundred eighty thousand for it to go forward. Well, as mentioned earlier, I, I think the election is over and it's time to move forward. Uh, he was elected uh, in a very fair competition. He was elected mayor of Kaohsiung, whether we like it or not. Well, in three years from now, you have a second chance to well maybe elect another another mayor. Uh, what I don't like is to see maybe the ruling party getting involved and expressing support for such campaign because. As the election is over, uh, it's time to maybe mend ties between local and central government. Uh, 300,000 uh, uh, signature, the threshold is uh, extremely high. And then after that, you need to uh, hold a referendum. So, well, again, on the short term, maybe you can see they, maybe the ruling party sees some benefits into uh, maybe uh, supporting the We Care campaign and maybe in gathering support for uh, where we can expect the uh, uh, Chen Qimai, the vice premier, to uh, if the uh, if the if the mayor uh, leaves office, we can expect Chen Qimai to well run for election, but. In three years from now, there are so many important things going on right now. We have the the Wuhan virus and many many major issues coming. So, well, I don't know if is it really a top priority for the for the ruling party. I guess the question that comes to my mind is, Hong Yu, what's he achieved uh, in the time he's been there? What is it possible that he is going to achieve? He's made so many promises; they all seem to be vacuous. Um, I I don't know. I don't I don't think that he is based on his performance in other managerial positions he's held. Uh, he was a deputy mayor of uh, uh, Taipei or uh, Xinbei for a while, and he resigned that position. He was head of the agriculture semi-governmental um, uh, organization that dealt with agriculture, and there's all kinds of questions about financial proprieties. Um, he he drained an account in Gaoshong shortly after. Um, becoming mayor, I, I, I guess I, I understand where Dimitri is coming from, but I, I would say go through with it. And yeah, okay, the standard is high, but you know it's democracy, democracy in action. And I, I don't believe, in my from my personal perspective, that he deserves to be mayor of Gaoshan. 
And that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan This Week. This week, and I've been joined in the studio today by Bill Sharp. Thank you very much. And Dmitry Buras. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. And I was joined on the telephone this evening by former Defence Minister Michael Tsai and regular ICRT commentator Ross Feingold. Now, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 9 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.